Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the 200th episode of this podcast. If I knew how to do side effects, um, I would, but I don't. So here we are. (laughs) So before we get into today's episode, which is a listener questions episode, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who has ever listened to the podcast, whether you've been here from the beginning when we were in the, you know, whole 30 days all the way to all of these transitions that we've had through the podcast. I appreciate you and I just am so happy and thankful that you have been here for whatever amount of time that you have been here because I would not have been able to do this without your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart, seriously. I haven't really decided how we're going to celebrate 200 episodes because I know this is a pretty big milestone, but here we are. But a very small way that you could say thank you, if you would like to, would be to leave a rating and review or review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can now leave star ratings on Spotify. Any of all of it helps the podcast grow, helps more people find the podcast, and we would really appreciate you if you could do that. Today we have a different kind of episode that I haven't done in a very long time. We're going to do a listener questions episode today, and we're going to be going over things like how to talk to specialist doctors when all they want to talk to you about is weight loss to fix all your problems and gentle nutrition and creating your nourishing plate. And then we're going to be talking about the nuance of intuitive eating, emotional eating, and stress eating. And we had a lot of other questions about specific like neutral nutrition topics and stuff like mental health and stuff like that. But I think we're probably going to save those for another episode because these are going to take a long time as they are. So here is your um, invitation. If you have any questions that you would like us to answer on the podcast, we're going to be doing these more frequently. So please email us or DM us on Instagram or get a hold of us however you would like to on our website, whatever. We will be doing more of these in the future and we love answering your questions because this podcast is for you all. So we would love to cater to your needs. Sometimes we would read the names of these questions, but most of these came from people who are our clients. So we're going to keep their confidentiality and anonymity. So If you would like us to read your name out, you are welcome to tell us to, but otherwise we will not assume that you want your name read out on the podcast. Anyway, so the first question is, something I'm dealing with right now is how to talk to specialist doctors like orthopedics about pains or injuries without the doctor resorting to, well, if you just lost weight as the solution for every problem. I feel like they blame weight for every issue. Or could you talk about even how to find specialist doctors that are size inclusive? Yes. This is really frustrating because I feel like this happens all the time on no matter where you kind of fall on the, you know, the weight spectrum, I feel like gets brought up a lot. Like no matter if you're like slightly overweight and then it increases over 
overweight, I use that in air quotes, based off of doctors' perspectives on BMI and the use of BMI. And then it increases with even more severity as you go up in that in that range, which is really annoying. And I've had so many clients of mine have this exact scenario come up for them. And so the first thing that I would recommend that you do, and this is from my personal experience working with doctors, coordinating care with doctors from from my clients, is to, as much as you want to give a heavy eye roll and ignore what they're saying, or shrink down and feel shameful and feel like you can't say anything back, I really recommend... um, actually saying something to them and doing it in a way that you can create more of a um, reciprocal relationship with your doctor, especially if you only have so many specialists available in your area. This has happened with clients of mine too, is like trying to find a specialist is one really difficult, especially if you're working within within insurance too, you might be really limited on who you have availability to and who's accessible to you. So the first thing I would do is Sometimes it's really important to maintain that relationship with that practitioner, potentially, if that's the only one that you have and you're really trying to get some somewhere with your care. And then the other piece, too, is it's also never a bad idea to seek out someone else. And we're going to talk about that, too. But the first thing I would say when you're in the initial response to that is if your doctor says, well, if you lost weight, you'd probably feel a lot better if you lost 10 or 15 pounds. Like, who hasn't heard that? Um I think the first thing I would say and what I recommend saying is I understand that weight can be a factor, but are there any additional helpful advice that you would give to someone in a different body size? If weight wasn't a factor, what other advice would you provide? And that just kind of opens the door a little bit because you're not necessarily shutting down in their eyes um, that weight can be a contributing factor because a lot of times when someone is not hazeline, they strongly believe that. They don't know any different. They don't think about it any differently. And that's the first thing. And so they're going to think, well, let's remove the low-hanging fruit here and make this person lose some weight and maybe they'll feel a little bit better. Um, it's what they're going to, the, what their first piece of advice is going to be. But if you offer the, hey, is there other opportunities or other things that I can do? And they might interpret it as in addition to, you don't have to do it in addition to, but they're going to look at it that way and provide you a more wide range of things that you can do. And then you have those tools in your tool belt as well. And then you can make an informed decision of, hey, I can work on these things. I can do this. I can do that. These are things that I can do to help support myself. And I find that to be really important, especially when you're feeling like you're working with the limited practitioners available in your area is to maintain that relationship the best that you can. Yeah, and if you want to go into the situation knowing more about like, how much does weight actually affect this or does it not affect it? You know, we have a couple of resources that we can give you as well. So one of the people that we've had on the podcast uh, last spring was Regan Chastain and she talked about how she has these health at every size health sheets, um, which is includes how you can talk to your doctor about specific health conditions and specific health interventions that can help with different health conditions regardless of weight regardless of body size and different interventions that you can do that are unrelated to weight that can help no matter the condition that you have so you can either go into that conversation 
anticipating knowing that your doctor, depending on the practitioner, is probably going to say something about your weight and you can either, you know, say something back to them. You can also choose just not to say anything and say, hey, could we also do something like this? You can choose to seek out a different specialist. There are many, the point is here, we don't want you to feel like this is your only avenue to go. There are many different directions that you can go in here. Um, If you do want to look for size inclusive specialist practitioners in your area or just in general there's also a website that has a health at every size practitioner finder and we can put that in the show notes the another thing too is just to kind of go back to what dana was saying around the different avenues that are available to you you also have every right to not see that that practitioner anymore and you also have every right to say to that practitioner that's not helpful or this is harmful for me because of these things, or I've tried that in the past and here's what's happened. Like, it's totally fine to say that too. I only said in the beginning is if you want to, if there's someone who has never heard of health at every size and might not be that receptive to it, is keeping that kind of open dialogue is a nice like breakthrough to kind of get some insights from them. And we see this a lot in a lot of different areas too. And we have a podcast episode coming up and there's more than just Reagan who does health sheets like this for other specialties too. So that's very cool. And we'll share all of that with you guys. Yeah. And we also have, which we have linked in a previous episode, but we have a medical weight decline card. If you want to go into, for example, if you're going for your annual physical we have something that says, unless it is medically necessary for me to be weighed, please either don't include it in my chart or don't weigh me or I prefer to be blind weighed and please just don't tell me. So there's that option as well. The next question. Um, I want to add gentle nutrition, but I'm so lost after years of dieting. I gained weight in the process and though I feel good most of the time, weight gain has been a struggle for me. Of course, I want to lose some, but for the first time in my life, I'm not focusing on losing the weight, but finding a way to incorporate gentle nutrition in a sustainable way without giving up my cultural foods. Love this question. I bet a lot of us can relate to this question. So first of all, this is this is something that I want to acknowledge because I think there's a lot of, um, a little bit of, not a little, a lot of kind of exclusionary rhetoric in the anti-diet community of if you want to lose weight, you don't belong here. We do not subscribe to that idea here. Um, If you want to lose weight, we understand and we're never going to turn you away as a client or as a listener to this podcast or something. Of course you want to lose weight. We've been told our entire lives that losing weight is the cure to everything. So it makes sense that you would feel that way, right? So going on to the actual (laughs) answer to the question here is first, gentle nutrition will always include your cultural foods. Always will include your cultural foods. If you are going to a practitioner or you're seeing any resource that's like good nutrition doesn't include your cultural foods, that sounds like some white supremacy shit out here, right? And we do not subscribe to that either, obviously. So it's really important that gentle, when we think about gentle nutrition in, you know, the intuitive eating sense of the word, the first is principle of intuitive eating is to ditch the diet mentality, right? So one of the things to think about here is the first thing that I thought of, aside from gentle nutrition will always include your cultural foods here, is when this person said, I want to add in gentle nutrition, but I'm so lost of years of dieting or after years of dieting. To me, the first thing that comes up is 
we are so used to listening to these external rules and food shoulds of how we should be eating as dictated by outside sources because we've been taught not to trust our bodies that we don't know what gentle nutrition looks like for us that might include your cultural foods, that might include the foods that you're craving because we don't know how to listen to our bodies anymore because we're so tuned in to what should I be eating? What is my list of yes and no foods for my health condition from this doctor, from this diet, from all of these different things that we've done in the past that have told us how we should and shouldn't be eating. So of course you're having trouble figuring out how to eat for yourself, listening to your internal cues, because if we have so many of these external cues, it's impossible to listen to what's going on on the inside because you don't know how to do that. You've been taught to mistrust your body because we've been taught if you listen to your body's signals, you're going to gain weight. If you listen to your body's signals, you're going to be out of control. You're going to have no willpower. You're going to be giving into emotional eating and your cravings and your stress eating and everything. And God, that's the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to you. So this is why we learn to rely on these external rules on the yes, no foods list because if we're being good, we think we're living within our values of health. If we listen to our bodies, we think we're not being good and we're giving into all these things that are bad. So the first thing to think about is what, when we're thinking about including gentle nutrition from an add-in approach, not an exclusionary all or nothing approach, the first thing we want you to think about here is what do you feel like is missing in your daily intake your weekly intake, in your food plan in general? Do you feel like there are things that are missing that you're craving or desiring, right? When we're thinking of, you know, it's January right now. Are there things around food that you would like to be more intentional around, right? Would you like to eat more of a specific food group or a specific food that you've never tried before, trying new recipes, anything like that, right? What behaviors do you want to incorporate more of? And then thinking about, what is the barrier that's getting in the way of me allowing myself to do that or me having the resources to do that, right? So there's there's kind of a lot of different factors here. And one thing that we would recommend you doing, here's an action step for you, right, is thinking about writing down your phone, piece of paper, whatever it is. This is an exercise that we do with our cli clients and in our group programs frequently is making a list of where are all of the food paralysis decision-making rules that you have floating around in your head every time you're trying to decide on what to eat? What are the rules floating around in your head? Where are they coming from? Is it old diets that you've done? Is it, oh, I shouldn't be eating this food because I have this condition or this food gives me symptoms? Or is it old food like, oh, I feel like I shouldn't be eating after 7 p.m. or I shouldn't be eating too many carbs or I shouldn't be eating this? Write all of that down and then you'll have a visual example of well no wonder I'm having trouble incorporating gentle nutrition because every time I go to make a decision about food or just what to eat for breakfast all of these rules and sh shoulds are just like stabbing me in the head and then we're just like well I'm either just not going to eat anything or I'm just going to whatever I'm just going to eat this and it doesn't matter and then we become very confused and thus the question comes up this way <laughs> yeah exactly and another thing too that I was thinking about like when I first read this too is I want to add gentle nutrition. What does gentle nutrition mean to you? And why do you feel like it's missing? I think that's another question too that comes up as well is what is gentle nutrition? Why do you feel like it's missing? And why do you think it's something that you need to be incorporating? 
why, how are you physically feeling? What's going on there? What do you believe around that? And again, that goes back to the action step that, that Dana mentioned around what are your food shoulds and where are they coming from? Like, where are they coming from? Where am I believing about this? And it might be incorporated in gentle nutrition. You might realize that you're doing more gentle nutrition than you actually think that you are. And a lot of the stuff that you have going on are more shame-based around maybe I'm I'm supposed to be giving up my cultural foods. Maybe my cultural foods aren't gentle nutrition. I need to do other things. Maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe everything that you're doing is totally fine and you're already practicing gentle nutrition. So I think those are some things to think about too and to think about where you're kind of coming from in that and to consider what do I believe gentle nutrition is and how do I want that incorporated into my life? And then if you're saying to yourself, if your questions are, here are the things that I feel like are missing that I'd like to have more of. Here's a behavior that I'd like to incorporate more. Choose one, start there and slowly add it in. That's how you're going to incorporate gentle nutrition, whatever gentle nutrition means to you. We like to use the term intentional because you can still be, you can create intention. Something about gentle nutrition sometimes sounds a little bit too like there's an expectation that maybe something's missing and it might not be. And I think that's something to consider too. And you can always create intentional choice in how you're approaching foods that you're eating every day and the foods that you're including on your plate. And we also like the term neutral nutrition, right? So think about this in N, and we'll go into this in the next question, is how can we incorporate nutrition in a intentional yet neutral way, right? So the next question is all about this, and it's about creating your plate, right? So this person asked, what does a nourishing plate look like? I know that it was covered in the wholehearted eating class, but it really stuck with me. I try to have a fat, carb, and a protein at every meal now. So what this person is talking about is in our wholehearted eating program, one of the tools that we teach is called Build Your Nourishing Plate. And we do this with our clients as well. And this is, as a disclaimer, an advanced recovery tool. So first, Christina, go into what that means. (laughs) (laughs) If you are recovering from an eating disorder or you're actively having an eating disorder, this part is not for you. Fast forward. Save it for later. Bookmark it for another day when you're further along in your recovery. When I say advanced recovery tool, that means that you've worked on your eating disorder behaviors, you have a support team around you, you're already working with a nutritionist, you have a therapist, you've maybe done inpatient and you've kind of come a long way in your relationship with food and your body already. At this point, when you're creating your nourishing plate, you feel more ready to make intentional food choices and being able to make that, bringing that neutral nutrition intentional food choices to your meals on a daily basis and creating your plate. This is where it's safe for you to start doing that. Earlier than that, it can be really murky and it can get really messy really fast. And in some ways it can trigger further eating disorder behaviors. So it's really important to know where you are on your recovery journey. If you have an eating disorder or if you're heavy in disordered eating, Even if you haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder and you know that you fall really quickly into, this is what they said that I can eat on my plate. This is all that's available. This is not for you yet, but we're going to make room for everybody to have this. And the way that I look at this, and this is the first thing that I thought of when we talk about building your nourishing plate, is it's really about marrying my body's fundamental nutritional vitamin nutrient needs 
with my desires and cravings. Some plates are going to be heavy in desires around nutritional uh, needs, like my basic nutritional foundational needs, my protein, fat, carbohydrates, all the different things like that, making sure I'm getting fiber, all of the blah, 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 all of the things because those are things that my cells need every day in order to thrive and I don't want to be malnourished, right? That's the basics. Then the other pieces, my desires, cravings, what have you, Usually these are oftentimes the foods that you've been told are quote unquote unhealthy that don't serve a role in your life and they most certainly do. And so those that's how it kind of can balance and that's where I want you to think about it too. Some parts of your plate may include foods that you're craving, desiring, whatever. Some foods and then some parts of your plate could be um, encouraging and not encouraging but um, incorporating was the word I'm looking for, incorporating things that are the nutritional needs that your body needs every day. Some plates are going to look like fully those, those nutritional things that you might be desiring. Again, because you might be getting intentional about around gentle nutrition and neutral nutrition, and maybe you're working through some adding in approach type things. And then other times it's going to look like the opposite. Sometimes you're working on adding in more foods that you're desiring, you're craving, those things that you've been told that you're not allowed to eat or you're not supposed to eat or that are quote unquote bad for you. So that's one piece of the, how do I create my nourishing plate and create that plate for yourself? And I want you to think to yourself, how do I marry what my body's desires are with what my body needs? So big thing to think about is while we, with the nourishing plate tool that we talk about in the course and with our clients, this is a way that if you are at, um, on the spectrum of disordered eating or eating disorders to comfortable, neutral eating, if you are at a certain place, this is a tool that you can add in to add some structure and guidelines and incorporate flexibility, right? But at the same time, if you approach this from a different place on that spectrum, this could be interpreted as a rule, right? So this is where the nuance comes in, is where anytime we give you all a tool like this, it's always intended to be used in an add-in kind of way, not an all-or-nothing way, not in an exclusionary way, not in a restriction type way, right? So this is kind of a, like, if we look at, you know, this is kind of a center, it's, okay, this is where we would like to start. Are you always going to hit it on the bullseye? No. In fact, we actually encourage you not to always follow this structure because we're trying to get away from perfectionism. We're trying to get away from that all-or-nothing mentality. So when we think about, like, what actually is it, right? Now that we've given you 12 disclaimers and like, you know, how do we talk around this is when we think about like, what is a nourishing plate when we're looking at, you know, going back to a couple of episodes ago, like we are just complicated houseplants with like very specific needs that need to be addressed before we can go above and beyond and expect all these things of ourselves. When we think about what incorporates a nu- nutri- n- nourishing plate, nutritional nourishing, all of the words combined, plate, bowl, whatever you want to use. I prefer to eat out of bowls. This is a personal preference, right? But when we're thinking about what goes into this, 
The number one thing that we always go back to in terms of our biological needs is one of the first things that we address as nutritionists is blood sugar balance, right? So we're, when we're thinking about how do, create, how do we create a plate that's going to be satisfying and nourishing and incorporate those needs and not be like the equivalent of a little kid after Halloween having dug into half of your pillowcase of candy, you have a massive blood sugar spike and then you crash. Not ideal for an everyday situation, right? So what we want to do is incorporate foods that are going to be, again, nourishing, satisfying, and help you have sustained energy until the next time that you can eat, right? So what that looks like is incorporating some kind of protein, some kind of fat, and some kind of fiber slash carbohydrate because carbohydrates are fiber. News flash, right? Do they have varying degrees of fiber? Yes, but that's what we're going for, right? So this is what this person meant when they said, I try to have a fat carbon protein with every meal. The reason is we look about at the, you know, the neutral nutrition properties of these macronutrients, which is what they are, proteins, fats, and carbs, right? And water, but we'll go there later. So carbohydrates are going to be your body's number one source of energy. There are certain carbohydrates that digest faster than others, aka the Halloween candy energy spike. And there are certain carbohydrates that just digest a little bit slower than others. The way that we can mediate that blood sugar spike is if we incorporate protein for more satiety and fat for more satiety, which we have, this is like one of the, speaking of foundational, this is one of the first episodes that I ever did over four years ago on this podcast talking about why proteins, fats, and carbohydrates are so important and why you shouldn't be eliminating any of them, right? Because they all have very specific needs in the body and it would be great foundational basic needs wise to incorporate these often in our days. Again, you don't need to do this every single meal. You don't need to do this every single snack, right? This is a check-in tool. We're going to be talking about our toolbox later. But if you think about, here's an assessment, right? If I eat breakfast and I think it's pretty balanced, satisfying, whatever you're going for there, and you're hungry 30 minutes later, one, probably didn't eat enough. Two, think about, okay, I don't really want to be hungry 30 minutes after I had breakfast because I'm trying to work. I'm trying to do all these things and stuff. So that's a check-in tool. It's not a, oh, I failed breakfast. It's okay, next time, let me try and add something else in. Think back to these basic neutral nutrition principles, right? Did I have some protein? Did I have some fat in there? Did I have some carbohydrates? If you're missing two of them, chances are that's probably why you are hungry 30 minutes after the meal, right? So think of this as more as a flexible structure guidelines not rules yeah I think also too another thing that you mentioned around the snack piece if you're having hunger 30 minutes after eating another thing too is one this is an invitation your nourishing plate includes having a snack when your body's hungry always and stop don't wait I don't care how long it was ago since you last ate and you're now hungry it doesn't matter your body's asking for more food, which is basically your body saying, I didn't get enough of my fat, carb, and protein in order to make it through until the next time. You didn't provide enough. So now I need more. And what Dana's talking about is reflecting back and saying, hey, what did I eat? Did I meet this thing? Maybe I just didn't have enough of it. Maybe I had enough fat. I had the mixture of fat, carbs, and proteins available, but it wasn't a large enough meal and my body requires more now. That's how you're going to gauge your nourishing plate. And it's going to change from day to day and meal to meal. There's going to be times when you're feeling really satisfied after having, you know, a 
uh, a smaller quantity and other times you're going to require a larger quantity. And that's where one of the biggest things that people come back to me when they're looking at our nourishing plate and we're going through that together, they're saying, well, how do I know how much to eat? Your body's going to tell you the story. And at first, if you have a history of restriction, your body is going to require a lot more than you think. And we'll link to a podcast episode where we talk about this a lot around the perception around overeating. So I think that's also really important too. And I think it's equally as important too to remember when you're doing this that not every meal is going to look the same and it's going to be different each each time. And to think about looking back from what Dana was talking about around that energy roller coaster that you might be having, if you feel like you're falling into slumps a lot, this is where we need to play around with our fat, carbon, protein intake. And, and that's just, again, that's a signal from your body saying, hey, I need something. Can you help interpret it? And it's trying to give you signals to let you know. And if you need help interpreting it, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to work with someone who's going to help you. If you're starting to implement this and you're having, you're running into a lot of fatigue, a lot of energy roller coasters, and you're having a hard time finding that balance for yourself, it can be really helpful to have someone take a look at it and say, hey, you know what, your body might require a little bit of this, or your body might require a little bit of that, but your body's going to be telling you along the way. So the more that you can, going back to the gentle nutrition question from before, the more you can turn out those external things those external shoulds and unpack those things, the more readily available you're going to be able to interpret your internal voice that your body's asking for and what it's needing every day. And it's going to be a lot easier to implement creating your nourishing plate, which is why this is an advanced recovery tool. A lot of times people haven't undone some of the external shoulds that are going on, which makes implementing this kind of rules-based. So it's really important to one, acknowledge where you are and meet yourself where you are and start there. Start with, I'm not ready for this yet, but I am ready to turn off the internal, the external noise that I'm carrying around every day that's making me feel paralyzed when it comes to baking a meal. Yes. Um, I want to say one more thing about the energy spikes and dips and everything like that is that um, one food can't fix everything right let's just remember this Um, and you could be experiencing those similar energy dips and spikes and everything even if you are following the nourishing plate example because there's probably something deeper going on hormonally, gut-wise, nervous system, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that could be contributing to this as well. Can food help with those? Yes. Are they going to fix everything? No. So if that's the case, right, if you're falling into this category where you're like, okay, well, I think I do that, but like, I'm not really sure, but it also, I'm also struggling with like all of this other stuff, it's time to reach out to work with somebody, right? Like this is not a situation where you want to try and figure everything out on your own. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it is really important to have everyone have that reminder too because 
we're told all the time, especially if you're in the integrative world like we are and you follow this type of like food as medicine kind of toxic thing, is we're told that if you get your food perfectly, everything else will fall into place. But we're again, yes, we are plants. We have basic needs. But this again is let's get this baseline together. And then if that's still caught, if you're still exhibiting some things that are going on, that's when you start to drill deeper. That's when you start to look into it even more. And that's your body saying, hey, thanks for taking the edge off, but I still got these other things that I need you to look into. And that's when it's so important to go and work with someone. For sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So speaking of the nuance in things, the next question is a great one because we love talking about nuance here. And now we're going to talk about nuance in the messaging around intuitive eating. So the next question is, I read an article this weekend about intuitive eating. Essentially, the message was, before reaching for food, ask yourself, what kind of love do you need? Do you need a walk? Do you need a hug? Do you need a nourishing meal? Or do you need the comfort food that you're reaching for? And I honestly didn't know what to think. Yes, food is comfort. Yes, we need lots of tools in our shit is hard toolbox. But for some reason, it landed on me weird. (laughs) When I first heard this question and read this question, my instinct was go with your gut. That was the first thing I said. If it landed weird for you, it landed weird for you for a reason. And that reason is the first thing when I read that, the before reaching for food, ask yourself what kind of love you need was a heavy eye roll. That doesn't mean that this isn't an important thing to incorporate, but to me that has nothing to do with intuitive eating. That has more to do with emotional and stress eating and identifying how you might be feeling in the moment when you're going for something. And we're going to talk about emotional and stress eating in a minute. But this really made me feel like Again, nuance, right? We don't know the context of the article. We don't know what article they read. And we can't know what mindset they're coming from. But I do get some real potential vibes of intuitive eating for quote-unquote weight loss, which um, uh, are contrary to each other, do not equal out, are not the same. If you're reading someone who's saying like, oh, I follow intuitive eating for and I, and I promise weight loss, run, don't walk run in the other direction. So that's my first initial response to it was trust your gut. And I think this can be kind of frustrating. So you might be thinking to yourself, so then what does this mean? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? And how do I handle this? And how do I start intuitively eating? And I think one thing that I, I don't like about this is I like that it says, do you need the comfort food? But I also feel like it kind of makes a little shame around the comfort food because that's the the last thing that's offered. Um, And it's kind of like, quote unquote, thinking of it as a last resort. And that is what makes me feel like that's kind of bothersome for me. One thing that I like to think about when I think of intuitive eating, if I'm one desiring food, the first thing you should be asking yourself is, am I hungry? Not do I love myself. It's, (laughs) am I hungry? And then the next question is, how long ago was it that I ate something? If those questions are yes, and it's been a while, then need no further than to go and get something to eat. 
period, and stop. That is intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is not saying, what kind of love do I need? Do I need to go for a walk instead? (laughs) That's stress management (laughs) to me. You know, that's stress management, not eating management. Eating management is, do I feel hunger cues? No. When's the last time I ate? 10 minutes ago. Maybe I'm cool. Maybe I do need to go for a walk. Maybe I'm not satisfied. Maybe I am having a lot of emotion right now and I want some comfort food, so I'm going to grab some. Or maybe it's I can go about my day now and I'll wait until I'm hungry again. If you're not hearing your hunger cues and your answer is, am I hungry right now? And the answer is, I don't know. And then the next question is, when's the last time I ate something? And you can say, hours ago. Then, full stop, go eat something. And I think it's interesting because now we we don't know where this came from. Um, this was just this person's interpretation of wherever this article was from, right? So it really could be coming from two different kinds of sources. What I want to draw back to is like, the most important thing that matters here is how it hits home, right? So it's how this person interpreted it and how it makes them feel, right? But if we go back another step as well, is like, what was the intention of this person and the delivery, right? Because those two things can be very different in terms of where the article came from. So this, what Christina was saying, and I totally agree with is. This definitely gives me vibes of like the top Google search of like how to stop emotional eating and lose weight, right? So if it's coming from a source like that, then it would come off kind of as like, do you really need that comfort food or do you just need to go for a walk, sweetie, kind of thing, which like hate that for us. (laughs) Um, But it could have come from another perspective of, which is much more nuanced, which would be Food and emotional eating, stress eating, or just eating in general is one of the many tools that we have in our toolbox. And it's important to diversify those tools. So no matter what the tool is, we're not only relying on one because we only have one tool, right? This is very common in people who struggle with overexercise or like identify as gym people. It's like they only allow themselves to have exercise as a tool because it's kind of praised by society. But God forbid you go to food one single time and it's like, and again, you're going to gain weight and that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you and you need to get control of your emotional eating. Okay. That's not the road we're going down here, right? I love how but your if voice the way that this was intended to come off was Christina's laughing at me and my voices. If the way that this is intended to come off is yes, emotional eating, stress eating, food can be used as a tool and there's nothing wrong with that, but we also want to ask is this the tool that I want to use in this moment? That I'm a little bit more okay with. Regardless of what the intention was, though, this is how it was interpreted by this person, and that's what matters, right? Again, what Christina was saying is if it made you feel weird, then that's what matters, right? And it feels weird because it was coming off to you as, like Christina mentioned, you probably don't need the comfort food is how it was coming off, and that feels weird, and that feels wrong, and that feels icky, right? So while acknowledging, I love how this person put it, um, is we need lots of tools in our shit is hard toolbox, but food is one of those tools and it's okay to use that food. But the work here is done around why do, does the, I was going to say owner, why does the author of this article or the way that it came off, why does it feel like 
food is a tool that we shouldn't be using in our toolbox. And that's the work that needs to be done of unpacking that. Why do we feel like food is a tool that we shouldn't be using in our toolbox? Or why is it an inferior tool that we should be doing? Asking ourselves what kind of love we need. Or do you need a walk or something? Do you need a hug? You might need those things, but you might also need food. Yeah, you might need all of the above, right? And that's where the first question is, am I hungry? Do I feel hunger, right? That's the the first step of deciding whether or not you should eat or not. Um, do I feel hunger? And when was the last time I ate something? And if the answer is both of those, I yes, I feel hunger and it's been a while, then you need to eat something. And that's about as basic as it gets. It gets complicated for a lot of people. And I think I'm going to share a personal story because I think it's important for people and it kind of leads into our next question too, is intuitive eating is also using tools that are in your toolbox at all points of the day and not not moralizing food and not shaming yourself around food. So one of my thing, I've noticed this pattern for myself. I actually just talked about it with my husband the other night. And I, I said, you know, I feel like, um, my coping strategy right now, my most easily accessible, quick comfort, comfort and stress decompressing tool that I have that's built into my routine is after I'm done with work, after I'm done with a client or a heavy client session, I like to grab a snack, sit down and watch something on TV and just chill out. It helps me kind of break away from my client time and kind of have that little mental break. And I love doing it. And it makes me feel like I'm getting like I'm getting that separation and a little bit of that stress decompressing, which is really important. I find that to be a very intuitive thing. I'm not shaming food. I'm enjoying it. I'm doing what I want to do. And um, I'm using that, right? But the piece too is what they're talking about here is we need lots of tools in our tool belt. Is I recently said to Casey the other night that I felt like I don't want that to be the only tool that I'm using all the time. And I think maybe that could be like to me, this question or the advice that's in here is something that we use around emotional and stress eating of kind of identifying how you're feeling. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling, you know, whatever it is. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling whatever. I'm feeling, you know, whatever the feeling is. Some of the questions that are in here are can be really, really wonderful questions to ask yourself when you're at the point of trying to identify, am I using food as my only tool, like tool in my toolbox? And how can I incorporate other things into it? And that was a conversation that I had with Casey the other night. This is my most easily accessible one. So I do that one the most often, but I'd like to incorporate other ones. I'd like to incorporate more movement in and have that be an option too. But it feels foreign to me because it's not one that I use routinely. So that's how you slowly build into into your routine, those other tools. And that could be what the article was referencing, but intuitive eating got brought into it. And again, as Dana said, it doesn't matter what the intention of the writer was. If it's interpreted by the reader as kind of shaming for them. And one person might read it and think totally different. And the the other person might read it and feel a completely 180 different perspective around it. And again, it doesn't matter. It's how it's landing for you. And if it's land, landing kind of shaming, then take a step back. 
Yeah, her interpretation is valid. But I think it's important. Because, I, I mean, I do think, like, in a lot of ways, um, I hope my <laughs> me sharing my decompressing from clients kind of story is helpful for people. Because I think it leads into emotional and stress eating, which is another question that people asked us. It was literally the last question is more about emotional and stress eating. How our body, what like, how our bodies are trying to tell us something. And... My story is so perfect for that because my body is telling me that. My body's telling me my adrenals are like a little shot. I'm overwhelmed. I have a toddler at home for the middle of a pandemic. I'm working with like heavy um, mental health, um, you know, stuff at the same time and working with people who are really having a hard time and struggling with food. And I don't have a lot of tools in my toolbox that I use routinely. I know what they are and I use them, but they don't always feel that easily accessible to me in the moment. And so I've always kind of gone towards the one that felt I can do that and it's easy and it's accessible and I can grab, I can go to it. I can tell Casey, I need 20 minutes and go upstairs, sit down, watch watch a show, and eat a little something. And I think it's really important that people acknowledge that that is a valid tool. And so is wanting to incorporate other tools into your quote-unquote shit-is-hard toolbox. Good thing your business partner and podcast co-host is a practitioner who specializes in adrenal fatigue in the nervous system. <laughs> Oh my God, I know. I could be totally be uh, Dana's most frustrating client of all time because I'm also incredibly stubborn. (laughs) She's a rebel personality. I got a rebel personality. Um, And I do, and I, I, I think I definitely gravitate towards what's, again, like the easiest, most accessible thing. So I want to validate that for everybody that it's okay to gravitate towards what's most easily accessible because it's way better to gravitate towards what's accessible to you that helps you kind of decompress than to live in the shitstorm and not do anything about it and to to run on empty. And I have definitely done that before and that's never worked. It's always ended in a spiral of, <laughs> of bad and a lot of anxiety. And so this has helped me manage that. But again, part of working and kind of understanding your relationship with emotional and stress eating is identifying what tools do I have in my toolbox and then slowly incorporating other tools in in an add-in approach, not shaming the tools that you have. They're valid. They're useful. You've created them for a reason to survive in a very chaotic world and to then slowly incorporate new things and new things. So you guys will be on my journey because I'm slowly working on incorporating more things. I used to do it a lot better, but now I'm like, this we're is all the working easiest. on things. <laughs> um, okay, but so more about emotional and stress eating, right? So what this bo- what this body, what this person was mentioning is um, we do have a lot of episodes on this, so we're going to talk about it now, and we're also going to link all of them for you so you can learn more about this as well. What they're referencing is we have talked about in the past how emotional eating, stress eating, all these different types of eating is they are not the problem and they are not the target of what's going on. Emotional and stress eating specifically are basically signals of your body's trying to tell you something. There's something deeper that's going on and this is just the way that your body is expressing and trying to tell you, hey friend, like 
we're trying to deal with this in the only way that we know how, but we don't know how to deal with this underlying thing. So we're just trying to tell you that there's something going on. So I want to use a clinical example to kind of show you what this could be like. Many people that we work with in this area of health have thyroid issues, but it's not actually a thyroid problem. So the interesting thing about functional medicine is most people talk about, oh, let's get to the root cause, right? If you are having subclinical or clinically uh, validated by Western medicine, thyroid blood issues, right? Let's say your numbers are out of range. Unless it's something like the autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, um, or it is genetic hypo or hyperthyroidism, it's not actually a problem that originated in the thyroid itself. It's most likely something else that's causing your thyroid numbers to be out of whack. The symptoms that you experience are coming from the thyroid being out of whack, right? So in functional medicine, there's like, ooh, let's go to the thyroid, right? But a lot of the time, that's not deep enough, right? So all of these things that are like, oh, fix your emotional eating, fix your stress eating, but they're just going to how to stop emotional eating and how to stop stress eating, that's not deep enough because that's not solving or helping us figure out, well, where is it coming from in the first place? That's like saying, oh, we're just going to give you thyroid medication and everything will be solved, which unfortunately is the case for a lot of people who will develop these hypothyroid or even hyperthyroid symptoms, so that is a lot more rare to see. But if you want to get to the root of the problem, you can't stop asking why until you get to the bottom of the layer cake, right? The bottom of the iceberg. There's so much going on under the surface. And so it's kind of like being a little kid when you have a toddler who's like, why, 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 right? And they keep asking, where is this coming from? And as much as you just, you just want to be like, just because, or like, because I said so, and just scratch the surface there or go one or two layers deep, here's encouragement to say, this isn't the problem, right? Like this, this might not feel good, but this itself is not actually the problem that's causing the discomfort, right? So we want to go deeper and deeper if we're using the clinical example. Okay, well, you know, when was the last time the thyroid was okay? What has changed since then? Because this isn't just something that pops up overnight, right? You don't just start emotional and stress eating one day and then you're fine and then it never happens again, right? If that's the case... There's probably not something deeper going on as much as someone who's experiencing this on a regular basis. Going back to the clinical example, if you're experiencing thyroid symptoms on a regular basis and it's been going on for a while, there's been something that's been going on deeper for way longer than you've been having the thyroid issues. So emotional and stress eating, again, are not the problem. There are, our bodies are trying to tell us something deeper is going on. And it is really an invitation for you to approach with curiosity of like, okay, I wonder where these are coming from, right? My bo our bodies are always trying to tell us something, whether it's with a symptom, whether it's with hunger, whether it's I need to pee, whether it's, you know, my mental health needs to be addressed, whatever it is. Your body at the end of the day is always just trying to protect you and it's trying to send you these sim uh, signals of like, we're out of balance and we need some help, but this is the only way that we know how to communicate with you or this is the only way that you will listen, right? Because we have been taught in our society <laughs> that we don't need to listen to our bodies until they're screaming at us, right? And by that time, it's like, it's a little bit late, still fixable, but we need to, 
yeah, or we need to. It would be more beneficial to us if we could learn to listen to our bodies with compassion and curiosity a little bit earlier in the process. Absolutely. And I think too, I think the truth is, is a lot of times we're not provided those tools. We're not learned those, like we haven't learned those tools, haven't been provided to us. They haven't been modeled to us, right? In a lot of ways, because often we think about, we think about where these, a lot of these behaviors come from to begin with. And we think about the, the people that, that raised us or that we read about or that we see. A lot of them are using dieting behaviors that again, too, is provides stress, right? It's stressful executing a diet and it's stressful telling your body how to do these things. And so a lot of times, one of the things that I'll kind of explore with people too, is are we still actively dieting? Um, when we're, when we're experiencing a lot of emotional and stress eating and what is that doing to us from like a physiological standpoint and from a nervous system standpoint too. So I think that's also really important to kind of think about, but there's so many layers to this. I wish this question had been more like more like pointed so we can kind of dive into it because it's hard to do a question on more about emotional and stress eating because emotional and stress eating talk about nuanced, talk about complicated would you like a graduate level course? Because we can provide that as well, but not in a single episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I mean, honestly, maybe that would be a really great course idea um, to do something around this specifically on the, all the different layers um, because there are so many different layers and there's different tools for different pieces of each layer, which is kind of what the previous questioner was talking about. We, I, we need lots of tools in our shit is hard toolbox. And getting to each layer and providing the tools for each one can be very different. But it's also equally as important to remember one of the simple things you can do is try to remove the stress of shame around food would be a wonderful tool to start with. And I would say would probably be a really great top of the layer cake to work on already to kind of help with if you're suffering with emotional and stress eating think about what kind of things am I doing that might be adding fuel to this fire or putting gasoline on it and listening to a lot of external rules shoulds nutrition quote-unquote nutrition education that's really weight loss advice and shaming around your body is definitely one that could be uh, simmered down and take the dial down big time. Yeah, so here is an invitation if you want to learn more about stress eating and emotional eating or if you have more specific questions about those or anything that we've talked about today or anything in general, <laughs> just email us, right? Hello at wholeheartedeating.com or reach out on Instagram, reach out on our websites, however you'd like to get in contact with us. We're going to be doing more episodes like this more often because we still have about five other questions that we didn't even get to. Um, so TBD when that episode will come out, but it will be coming out sooner rather than later. So thank you all for being here. Please send us yes. any and all of the questions. And we will see you next week. And thanks for listening because it's been 200 episodes. What, what? Oh my God, yes. Well, since Jane has been on, not me, but... That is so exciting, and I think we should all give Dana a huge round of applause for getting to 200 freaking episodes of a podcast. I don't know how she's done it. I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for her. And so I just want to say, Dana, you're a rock star, and I'm so excited that we all get to hear you for 200 episodes, and here's to 200 more. 
200 more, baby. Dismantling diet culture one day at a time. <laughs> Taking down diets one day at a time. No matter if I have to sacrifice my mental health. No, I'm kidding. It was really bad for a day though when I quit Whole30, but now we're okay. <laughs> we have recovered from that. God, that was a long time ago. <laughs>